Okay, Lexington, it's time to talk. I'm Stephanie Feekson, Program Coordinator for Lexington's Domestic and Sexual Violence Prevention Coalition. And I'm Diane Fleet, Assistant Director of Greenhouse 17 and Chair of the Prevention Coalition. Welcome to It's Time to Talk. We'll be talking to many community members to help us gain understanding and model conversations and actions to help us move forward so that you can say, it's time and I am ready to help. So Diane, it's that time of year when families are getting together more for picnics and family reunions. And soon it's gonna be time to start planning the holidays, which is a lot of fun except when you have that family member that you know is causing harm um, to someone else. I mean, what do you do with that person during those situations? I'm so glad we're having this conversation. I think it comes up quite a bit. You know, people are getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving or Fourth of July is coming up. And there is, as you just said, that individual. And do we intervene? Do we not intervene? How do we recognize it? And sometimes our experience with that person is really positive, right? It's an individual that we care for. It's somebody that we like. They bring presents and they're joyful. But we know on the side that there is not a good home life and there's abuse going on. And how do we sort of intervene safely and become more comfortable with that conversation? We have Darlene Thomas here, who's the executive director of Greenhouse 17. And we also have Latanya Jones, who is here, who is a poet, author, and activist and I think that they might be able to help us shed some light on this. Well, I sure hope so. So, Darlene and Latanya, what do you what do you think? What do you do when a family member is presenting to you as someone who's loving and caring, but you know behind closed doors they're not exhibiting that same behavior with their own family? Uh, I think that that is a multi-layered question. Because when we are talking about this kind of violence, we are talking about families. And so many of the families can be rooted in generations of this kind of violence. And so I like what Diane said at the beginning about being able to really talk with the person who is experiencing the direct violence, but we know in many of the families, there's not just one person. But if you have an idea about who may be the target of the violence, it might just be about comforting them, letting you, letting them know that you see them and that you have seen the other sides of, of the person who is causing harm. And I'm at a point in my activism and in my life where I'm trying to show love in as many different capacities as I possibly can. And so that means being willing to have hard conversations with people that we would term as difficult, dangerous even. Um, part of my work is to sit with people who've been charged with really horrible crimes. And I'm still able to find a place of love to enter, to be able to have the conversation. And so just as I would speak with someone who's the target of the virus, and I'm just using that term loosely, uh, but the one that we know is is experiencing the greatest amount of harm, perhaps in the family at that time, um, extending that same kind of love to a person who might be causing the harm. I think that's a really important point, this whole idea of leading with love and 
seeing really accountability as an act of love, um, not pretending that you don't see what's really going on. But Darlene, what do you know? It's complex, right? Um, Situations are not easy. And I think the first approach for most of us is to make sure that you go to the person who's been targeted or the individuals being targeted because we need permission to really address it beyond that because the safety of that individual may very much depend on the secret or what's perceived as the family secret at that time. Whether you want to buy into it or not for the safety of that individual, you might have to bide some time and then really work with the person who's been targeted to talk about what would it look like to be safe and to be able to tell your story and are you that safe person and that you see that these um, what you're seeing how it's presented might not be exactly what's happening in the home you know there's subtle things that you've picked up with and on because you care about that person so it's complex and people are not all bad and the very reason that survivors have cared for the person that's hurt them is because they come with good parts and pieces pieces that we want to be able to love and care for we find charismatic and and those things, which is why we grapple with this. It is complex. It is difficult for all of us to navigate. But with the permission, I believe it's really important to be able to confront um, with expectations and boundaries. And sometimes it might be, you know, I can love you, but I know this has gone on. This person's been arrested or there's protective orders. Things have happened. Um, and you have to say, you know, you may have to have your own boundary to go, not in my home, right? Like this is not invited here, but I still support you. I'm not here to tell you who to be. We're here to tell you what we'd like for you not to do or engage in. And there's other choices and options. Um, so I think you get caught between what you personally looking in your own mirror that you have to reflect on and figure out at the same time that most importantly, you're supporting the people who've been targeted uh, and then also not necessarily approaching the person who does harm with hurt or hatred. It, it really needs to be a place of love. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story, including those that do harm. That made it acceptable. Right. And, and I'll shift right to you. But both of you said this, and I think it's interesting. You both said it's a complex issue. And I think sometimes when we're talking with families we reduce it to a very simplistic issue, right? This is the correct person and this is the wrong person. This is the right behavior and then this is the bad behavior. And I think sometimes when we approach this, um, whether it's with a victim survivor or whether it's the one causing harm, we often, particularly family members who have, who have um, interest in the outcome of what happens in this, we sometimes approach it with a solution already in mind. You need to leave this person you need to do this. And I, I wonder if you have thoughts a little bit as we begin to talk about the complexity, but how do we ourselves, if we're the one who's wanting to maybe intervene or have these conversa conversations, how do we do this respectfully, knowing that we are not the expert on other people's lives, that we need to sometimes hand that over to someone and just be an ear, be a support system, but not take over. And I think we have a tendency many times who want to take over and make it better and fix it. Well, don't we hear that a lot though, right? Where I have, we have family members that will call Greenhouse 17 going, I want my daughter out of there. I'm just going to drive to Georgia and pick her up, make her come home. And you're like, that may not be the answer. What does your daughter want? Like, what is, 
that person's experience. I do think our um, instinct is to have, we're kind of invested in the outcome. The only way out of this is to leave or to end that relationship. That may or may not be the case, and it may not be the safest way to do things either. So, um, you know, I agree, I agree totally that you have to be patient. I think when kind I, and and open. I think when I'm in that mindset, that it's really not even about the person who's being harmed. It's about my comfort, and so I have to get honest about that. That what I think is the best. I have no idea what's the best. Uh, and so if I can get honest with that, then I can have an honest conversation. And, what, and you know, I mentioned before about leading with love, even when I know that there's a person in the room who might be causing harm, I'm a person who can cause harm. And so that allows me to be able to have some empathy and some compassion. And so I don't have to ignore the fact that that person who is causing harm is likely in some pain. And so it might just be simply, you know, I, I seen you, you know, I've heard about some of the things going on, you know, we mentioned that if there's a protective order and everybody in the family knows, you know, there's not supposed to be any violence at this particular, I can come to that person with some empathy. I'm taking off the advocate hat and I'm a person who's at the picnic. You know, I'm a person who is with my family and also probably have some understanding about how this family operates and the secrets we do keep. And so just being able to open up and see, they know that they've been deemed the villain. They know that they already have, if there's a protective order, they know that they have been, you know, that law enforcement has had to come into play. There's been a judge. So they are already carrying these things. We might think that they're not feeling it because we consider them as narcissists and they can't feel a thing. The fact that they're acting out in such a violent way means they feel things at a very, very deep level. They just don't know what to do with it. And that turns into violence. I think that attitude really is leading with love because I struggle with that. You know, um, you know, this person is causing harm. And when we say causing harm, we don't just mean being disrespectful or mean, but they are being violent or controlling and really preventing this other person that we love from being their full selves. So approaching the person that is causing that harm and being, you know, open to the pain that they are experiencing when they're causing so much pain to someone else is really a difficult concept for me. I think that's why I'm moving into a space of talking about this as a response to trauma. You know, and trauma is entering into our language on a daily basis, you know, I can be at the grocery store. Well, I, I really can't be at the grocery store and someone will tell me, you know, they're going through some things. This is how I'm built. But in that, in that capacity, if I understand, like if I truly, it's not a buzzword, you know, we know that trauma has some effects. We know that there's generational trauma when something has been, when a generation of people has been wronged, when an individual has been wronged, typically it is cycling down from some other wrong. And so I have to remember that. That's why I can say, you know, I have seen you. I've heard. I see my friend who's my sister and my cousin who's suffering. You know, I know that you didn't wake up and just decide to do this. And if you ever want to talk about it, let's talk. Like I can identify pain and I know that when we're in it, we will blow it out. As uh, one of my mentors says, Rosalind Minicum, we will blow out our trauma and our pain on the person who is closest to us. 
And when we demonize people, there's no room for growth. There's no room to grow into some sort of accountability, you know, and I'm not, I, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how I even feel about our, you know, criminal justice system, knowing that it is not built to actually help a person go in, deal with their trauma and come out so they don't continue to do it. You know, I think that that is really the crux of this conversation, right? Because it can't be left up to the criminal justice system. It does require families and friends and communities to get involved. One of the things, too, Latanya, that you said, and to step it back even a little bit, maybe, is that sometimes there's generational pieces that sort of make things ripe in family for um, uh, oppression, patriarchal, um, uh, uh, turning a blind eye, whatever that might be. And so even though there certainly are those cases where we know that there is actual uh, by legal definition, domestic violence going on in a home. But sometimes we just worry that there is an oppressive abuse of not well experiences going on because there is a lot of condescending. There is a lot of, I manage the money and you do not. There is a lot of demeaning behavior. And so in a, in a, in a culture of a family, are there some things that you all would recommend or that you would how do you how do you begin if you're a person who wants to be part of this it's time campaign and it starts with my own family my own home how do we begin to have those conversations of i want something different for us i want something different around the thanksgiving table i want us to begin to celebrate and uplift our our community which in this case would be family versus that's just how we do things that's just how things are you know and I think we can see that in lots of different environments, but but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're all sitting here as members of families, I'm I'm assuming. Um, you know, and there's an awakening that has to happen for me as an individual before I can actually be helpful. And so I've got to have these questions about like why does it always feel like this when we get together? What have I actually seen in my own childhood? You know, what are the messages? I've got to do some personal inquiry. And then, you know, maybe that after those questions arise, maybe I seek out some answers. So I might call, you know, Greenhouse 17 and actually say, you know, what is like power? You know, what does that look like? Um, What is this? What are these words I'm hearing them toss around in this campaign? And one of the words you said earlier, um, and we talked about previously, is that idea of accountability. So what is it even that we're doing? I mean, what does accountability look like within families? How do we help someone um, stop causing the harm? What does that even look like? I think it's, again, multi-leveled, right? So accountability can be just acknowledging and seeing, you know, of what you've seen or what you believe to be true or questioning or talking to a survivor, you know, accountability um, can be um, knowing your own truth in that whole piece, right? And the role that you've played and acknowledging that uh, accountability, uh, you know, should be driven a lot of times by the survivor or the people that are experiencing it as well on what do they need for accountability, you know, to that individual uh, and what kind of support do they need from the family, whether they're staying or leaving, just a safe space to be. Accountability might be providing that safe space to have the, 
dialogue and a conversation without having to take actions or feeling like you're compelled to take actions that neither of those parties are ready for or wanting to have. Accountability can be just breaking the silence, breaking the secrets, you know. And I was just, that's what I was thinking when what you first said. When I asked about accountability, I meant what does it look like for that person that is causing harm? But like you said, being introspective and looking at how we are accountable to that behavior and how have we even unknowingly colluded with that behavior by ignoring it in the past. You're right. It's not just the person causing harm. It's all of us need to think about accountability for ourselves. You know, when I think of my own family, I mean, sometimes you're navigating some really difficult waters, right? Because you can acknowledge and want to hold accountable and be willing to take whatever steps that individual uh, or, or you would be willing to take whatever steps, but the individual would be at greater risk if you did so or if you confronted or maybe accountability is just providing the safe space, allowing for the process to take place. And also accountability is not necessarily, I agree totally with Latanya of demonizing the other party. These are individuals. If I look at my own family, the, the, the survivor loved, had children with try to raise a family with, they are more to them than they're, you know, like what we want to label simply as an abuser or a perpetrator is to l- give them language. They are human beings. So accountability in that way would not to step into spaces or using language or, or things that's not comfortable or pertinent to that situation based out of your own need, which is doing your own work. You got to be comfortable with you before you can really help uh, hold accountable accountability is an internal process, whether we're talking about our somas, our physical bodies, or if we're talking about a collection of people that we're working with, a collaboration of people that we're working with, a government, a nation, like these are all bodies. And we've got to be asking questions about how are we colluding with this violence? Just be, I mean, if we, and I don't believe I can make anyone else accountable. I know it because people try to make me accountable for stuff. And I'm like, now I'm not looking at that. So, um, and, you know, and I'm not talking about like abusing other people, but I don't want to be, I, I, I do have a, a, a mentor who said to me, she said, LaTanya, what does it feel like when you are sleeping and someone comes in and they're like, you gotta get up, you gotta get up, you gotta get up. How do you, and I'm like, I pop up like, what? I get angry. Yeah, I get angry. <laughs> I get so annoyed. What does it feel like when someone comes to you or when you're allowed to just wake up on your own? It is gentle. I have a beautiful day. I have a beautiful outlook. And so it's not my job to go shaking people into accountability to wake up to all their wrongs. I can create an environment where people can feel like they are safe to wake up and tell like the deep truths of their own trauma. And come to an understanding like, that's why I do that. I'm trying to heal something through somebody else. I'm trying to overpower someone else because so much power was stripped from me. You know, um, and when we can get to that, then we get people to a level where they could maybe determine that it's time for me to be accountable for what I've done. Or people think they should have that power over others. So it's not always trauma, it's these cultural narratives that we hear, right? That that as 
a certain identity you should have power over someone yeah. else. So, and that goes back to that. Are we willing in a public campaign, are we willing to look at the ways that we collude with this kind of violence? That's willing to dissect it. That's such a great point, honestly, because when I think about when you say accountability being the individual, right, which is true, survivors spend a lot of time trying to get their partners to a place of self-accountability. They spend a lot of energy trying to fix things, make it better, appease it, not push buttons, whatever that looks like in their own narrative of their own relationship. And the reality is survivors can't get individuals there. Like what what it takes to get a certain individual to decide to look inwards at themselves and what choices they're making and how that does harm to other and change that is an internal process that survivors aren't able to fix. A lot of us in the court, you know, people in the court system aren't always able to fix this one stop, one idea that's going to push somebody, thrust somebody into their own personal self-awareness and willingness to take accountability for their behavior, uh, that's an individual journey. And it might take a whole series of incidents or, you know, not great things happening. You lose your kids, you lose your partner, you lose family. You know, you might have isolation, you might have lost employment and job and work. Still may not get a person to have that self-reflection. So, but we don't have to collude with it as if we pretend if, as if things are okay. And I think that's what sometimes families do. They became, they become quiet and they just pretend everything is okay. So I really love where this conversation is going. And I have to say, I don't know that it was going in the direction that I thought it would, quite honestly, which I love even more. So every time I'm with the two of you and with Stephanie as well, I kind of learn more, a different approach. And, and I, and I think some folks at might have been tuning into this podcast, probably thought they were going to come across with, here's the safety plan. This is what you do. Check, 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 check. And I think as both of you had said, it, it's it's much more complex than that. And we have to check our own selves. We have to do some of our own internal work. We have to make sure that we're not making um, uh, movement what is more comfortable for me, but is more what is in the best interest of the family that I'm kind of working with. And that we want to kind of show up in love, both with the offender or the person that might be causing harm and for the person who's experiencing it and possibly the children. But just for folks that are listening in, I, I think sometimes it's easier just for an example. So Fourth of July is coming around the corner, you know, Thanksgiving holidays are coming up. And if you do have that family reunion, that connection, I was at a wedding this past weekend, you're seeing those dynamics kind of play out and you're seeing that language, you're seeing those signs that somebody has been harmed, um, and you're seeing that partner, that spouse, whether it's belittling behavior, whether it's statements being made, what is sort of, what are, what are kind of your thoughts at that time? Would you, would you kind of pull different people aside and have conversations with them? Or what would be first steps for somebody kind of listening in and tuning in to, to this conversation? Well, if you put me in a situation like you just did, I probably am going to address the person I know and feel most comfortable with. And if that happens to be the person that's doing the harm or what I perceive has been doing the harm, I would probably pull that person aside because it's not going to do you any good to make a big scene. It's not going to help the other person. But I would um, definitely pull them aside and, and 
say, you know, I'm not okay. I'm, ne I'm never going to be okay with watching you talk to somebody that way. Nobody deserves that. I know I'm not in your family day in and day out. It doesn't matter. That language, that, that um, tone is hurtful. It's destructive. And wherever you want to be in your relationship, you're probably not going to get there if this dynamic's going on. So I care about you. You're part of my family, you know. Um, at the same time, I'm not going to condone what I'm watching. And that's not said with hate or horrendous language or calling out or trying to embarrass people or um, the kind of things. If the, the other party is who I'm most comfortable with and feel closest to, I'm probably going to spend time loving on them and educating them. It's not okay to be talked to that way. Like you deserve better validating what their experience has been, providing a safe space for them to offer more information and what their concerns may be. Um, I mean, that's just off the top of my head. I think it's who you're, who who you're most engaged and who you're connected with Yeah, kind of situation. What about you, Latanya? Yeah, I think that, you know, what we're talking about is creating conditions where someone can say what they need to say, tell their truth. If I can see it, like, I don't have to, I don't have to co-sign the ways that you are, you know, spinning your pain on everybody. So I can say that. I can see your pain. It must be painful for you to have to, like, monitor everything she's doing. She's just dancing and having a great time. He's just dancing and having a great time. Like, and I can see that you're not. What is that? What is that really about? Like, I've got to approach it from a standpoint that I do care about this family member, but I don't condone the madness. And my hope for you is that you will be open to getting out of it, like for yourself. Like, what you're trying to take over there is never going to be the thing that feeds you here. And that's a real conversation I would have, or a real one. Like, you know that you're you're hurting people, right? And I have had these conversations mm -hmm. at family functions. Mm -hmm. A lot of time, my family don't want me to be there with this. <laughs> and then <laughs> here she comes. <laughs> and I'm with that again. But it's creating conditions for like even, you know, nieces and nephews or younger people who are watching to see that not everybody is. It's great modeling, isn't it? And yeah. Not everybody is bought into this subservience within this family and that violence is the answer to everything in this family. And so I don't know what that ripple effects looks like in the family, um, you know, years on down. But I know that I've tried to plant a seed and I've tried to make it known that a person who has caused harm can come to me as well as the person that I am assuming is, uh, you know, being targeted. You know, when we set up this victim and perpetrator, a victim always has to have a perpetrator. A perpetrator always has to have a victim. There's no end to that cycle. And if I if I hold this person accountable in this situation, but they have not come to some sort of understanding, they're just going to do it over here. And so we are living in a society that says, like, this is all okay. And we've all got to be looking at that's the Those are the conditions in which we're operating in. What I don't want to do is cause harm, right. interrupt, and get the person who's being targeted beaten right after more backlash right. because they feel like I have they've been telling me something that you know and so I want to be clear this I've been watching you mm -hmm. this has nothing to do with what I've been told or with what I what I've heard mm -hmm. what I'm, I'm yeah I've watched you I'm seeing the pain you're in and I can feel it 
in the energy that you're putting out right now. I, I, I just, I want something. And that kind of, you. yeah, that yeah. kind of um, approach, that humanist approach, right? It's a very humanistic approach to, to an individual is a great model. And I don't know that we know how that plays out generationally just yet because we're just learning how to practice this in many ways in our own families and addressing it because for so long we did not and have not. So this discussion is a perfect time. But I think about the nieces and nephews who are sitting there going, Aunt LaTanya, you know. And so if they ever run into the situation, they're going to know where the safe people are or who's going to be present for them, whatever the situation is. So the the trickle effect to other families, giving them the same members, giving them the same courage in a loving way to address that might. That's how you begin to change generational. And I, I love that converse, or that language that you used about creating these conditions, um, maybe deconstructing some conditions that have been, you know, laid the foundation that's been laid by our family and and creating new ones, but a lot of that, it sounds like it's done through those conversations. Um, so you have to be willing to say out loud, this is not okay, whether it's to the person doing the harm or the person that's experiencing the harm. Someone needs to hear, this is not okay. We have to be willing to take some risk. And that's how I know when it's not about me, because I'm not one to do it. <laughs> You know, that's a great plan, but it's not comfortable for anyone. No, it's not comfortable. But when I'm willing to take a risk in broaching the conversation, I know that that's when I'm I'm doing that for the benefit of our of our family, the whole and the humanity of our family. And then if I look at the different levels for my community, for my state, for my nation, you know, I'm, we've got to be willing to risk something so that we can come up out of this terrible, terrible dreamland. <laughs> right. This terrible carnival that, <laughs> that we're all like attending. Like we bought some tickets yeah. to some madness. And I think and I think that's oh go ahead. Go I would ahead. just say I would really tell family members too, you need to educate yourself. You need your own knowledge about what this looks like, what the impact is, how it can play out. So that when you do use your courage and that strength because you want to have accountability um, that comes with knowledge. And you can do that by being able to inform people, be able to guide them, give them choices, options, thoughts with an open heart and an open mind without necessarily feeling that you somehow have to be a part of the total solution. It is not your solution. It is their solution um, without you taking control away from those very individuals who've already had control taken away. So the more you know as a family member, as a friend, a colleague about this issue and the dynamics and their powerful dynamics and, um, and you know, have lots of layers to them, the better we will be in our approach of accountability um, through you know education where, and resources. You know where you can learn more about the <laughs> Where is at it's timelexington.org, where we do have information about what those dynamics look like. I think so, too. And I think, you know, I, I thank you both for being on here. And I think that that is what we're hoping it's time will do is getting people to be a little bit prepared to begin thinking a little bit what their sphere of influence, what their access is, 
Um, you know, whether again, that's with their family, which is this first podcast conversation, their friends and family, and then opening it up to larger community, because that is often who is seeing this play out. And I think we all have ability to kind of show forth that we want a caring community. And I love that we spend so much time talking about how we approach, you know, the person that may be causing harm because they need love too. But there's a difference between excusing behavior and lovingly intervening or or having some accountability and having some really honest conversations about it. So, you know, I hope, you know, folks who are, are listening in begin to to practice this and begin to kind of open up their eyes when they're they're it's not domestic violence, it's just happening over there, right? It's something that we're seeing in in our own personal worlds. So yeah. No, I just wanna add this that just because this is the way that it has been or you've been told that it's always been like this does not mean that that is true. You can feel inside of you what is true and to like trust that mm-hmm. because this does take some courage. Uh, sometimes we believe that it's easier to be in our families if we ignore, right? And if we just continue to do what we've always done. But if you ask yourself, is that true? you'll find that that pain is greater to keep carrying this out. Mm -hmm. You know, this takes some courage, some willingness to evolve, and that's possible for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And when the worst happens, you know, like that's the the hardest calls I receive in this work Mm -hmm. is when the worst has happened and families members look at me and say, I I didn't want to know. I didn't ever challenge. I didn't offer. Mm -hmm. I didn't intervene. You know, and then the the sense of regret and pain that comes with it. Of course, it's not their fault. And our job is to help alleviate and make some sense out of uh, situations that are senseless in many ways. You know, this is this is a time. It's time. Oh, yeah. You know, it's time, Lexington, to have these conversations, to not have to make those phone calls um, when the worst happens. Because there's so much that can be done. Before that ever gets to that level, if we can walk in our truth and help other people walk in theirs. I think, I don't know that there's anything else left. Well, there's so much more left to be said, but it was beautiful saying that. And that pain can be real. And I just so appreciate both of you for coming on. I know Stephanie and I were really looking forward to this conversation. So thank you for our first It's Time podcast. Thank you. It's always an honor to say the amazing ladies. Thank you so much for tuning in to It's Time to Talk. Please take what you've heard here today and find a way to incorporate it into your own life. This podcast is funded by Mayor Gorton's It's Time campaign. If you'd like more information on how you can be a part of ending domestic violence in Lexington, visit itstimelexington.org.